Um, if you have a Bible or a scripture journal, go ahead and open up to 2 Timothy. That's where we're going to be this morning. Um, if you have not gotten a scripture journal before, uh, you can raise your hand and we'll have somebody bring one to you. That is our free gift to you. Uh, we care about the word of God here. And we would just ask that if you come back and visit us again, that you just bring that with you and take notes. Uh, it's also something we use in our gospel communities as we discuss uh, what we learn and talk about on Sunday mornings in those groups. So uh, we're actually continuing our fall series that we had entitled Instructions to a Young Church, where we spent uh, really the entire fall studying uh, the, the book of 1 Timothy. And if you remember, as we were studying that as a church, what we saw was the Apostle Paul was writing uh, that letter to Timothy, who was a young pastor at a, at a church in Ephesus, which was a young church that Paul himself had planted on his missionary journey. And in that letter, we saw that the, the major theme of what Paul was trying to do was to encourage Timothy to lead well to lead that church forward through the various uh, trials and pressures and problems that it was experiencing and that it would experience uh, later on in the future. And we, we saw all sorts of things, right? We saw Paul encourage Timothy to stick to sound doctrine as he led and taught in the church. Uh, we saw uh, really Paul try to make this point to Timothy on the importance of godly leadership inside the church and how to establish a culture of leadership that loves others well, but also loves Jesus. We also talked about the importance of what it looks like to love and serve those around us and how that's a key hallmark that the church is supposed to be known for. We saw what it leads, what it means to live out relationships that honor and reflect the glory of God, especially inside of marriage. And then lastly, we, we talked about just this idea of spiritual contentment, how uh, Paul believed that there was a call on our lives uh, to live differently, to be content with who we are in Christ and what Christ has done for us. And so by the time we arrive at the letter we're going to study for the next several weeks, uh, this is Paul's second letter to Timothy, but it still really carries with it a lot of the same themes that we saw in the first letter. Paul is attempting to encourage Timothy to continue to move forward uh, in his ministry and his leadership and what he's doing. And, and a little bit of backdrop to how the environment or the historical setting of this letter is different from the first one is in this second letter, Paul is writing this letter to Timothy from prison. And Paul was arrested a number of times, but this particular time he is awaiting execution. He is uh, staring down death. He's staring down the, the end of his life and he longs to see Timothy again. You can tell by the way he writes this letter that he, he just wants to see Timothy one last time. And as he writes this letter, he's reflecting on his life. He's, he's taking a moment to kind of step back. He's thinking through his ministry. He's thinking about God's faithfulness to him, to the ministry that he's been a part of for the last 30 years. And as he writes this final letter to Timothy, he wants to encourage Timothy one last time 
He's gonna remind Timothy about what it means to leave a legacy for Christ. He's gonna tell Timothy not to be ashamed of the gospel. You know, he reminded Timothy of that time and time again in that first letter, and he's gonna remind him one final time, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, Timothy. Rest in that message and that hope. He's gonna remind Timothy not to forget about his own need for God's grace and mercy on his life that every one of us both start from a place of needing God's grace and mercy to be saved, but that doesn't change over the course of our lives as followers of Jesus, that we have a daily need for continual renewal in God's grace towards us. He's gonna encourage Timothy on how to engage the culture in Ephesus and how to continue to carry out the mission of the church. And so here's my prayer as we move into this second letter as a church, that over the next eight or nine weeks, that we would be encouraged to, like Timothy, answer our God-given call to be the church and to make much of Jesus together. So as we start this time studying a new book of the Bible, will you bow your head in prayer with me as we ask God to meet us and do a work in our hearts and in our souls that only he can do. God, thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning. Thank you that we have shelter from the cold this morning. And we ask that as we gather here this morning, that as we face a time and a season unparalleled in our generation, that you would use your word to transform us, that you would renew our minds, that you would transform our hearts, and that you would mold us into the image of Jesus, and that we, as your sons and daughters, your children, your people, that we would be your church, and that we would make much of you in our city, and to the ends of the world. And I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I was preparing uh, this, this past week for our, our study and, and starting uh, our time in, in 2 Timothy, and knowing kind of the historical setting of what Paul is experiencing as he writes this letter, uh, it, it reminded me of something I experienced back in 2012. Uh, my grandfather passed away in November of 2012. Uh, he and I were, were very, very close. I was his only grandson, and much to the chagrin of my sister and cousins, I was the favorite, um, simply by my gender. And so um, I, I got to spend a lot of time with my grandfather. He taught me how to shoot a gun. I don't know where you stand on guns, but he taught me how to shoot a gun. Uh, he taught me how to fish. Uh, he taught me how to do a, a number of the very limited and few housing projects I know how to do. Uh, and so my grandfather really, really spent a lot of time with me and invested a lot of his time with me, especially over the summers. And, um, you know, I find myself as I get older in life, just so thankful for the wisdom that he imparted to me and the time that he took to spend with me that uh, a lot of who I am as a man is because of the character of my grandfather and the legacy that he left for me and uh, gave to me. And so as my grandfather was diagnosed with late stage lung cancer uh, in September of 2012, um, 
you know, he passed away within, you know, two and a half months. I mean, it, it was fast. It was a really, really fast process. And during that time, I saw something in my grandfather um, that, that truly struck me. It, with, with great clarity at the end of his life, he was reflecting on the legacy that he was going to be leaving my grandmother, uh, my father, uh, my uncle, uh, my cousins, my sister, uh, my, my own mother, uh, who you know, he treated as if she was his own flesh and blood. And one of the things he told me and others uh, sem- on a semi-regular basis as we would visit with him and talk with him, um, he, would, he, he would say, you know, he'd say to me, boo, that's what he called me. He'd say, boo, kind of felt weird to be called that in my mid-20s, but you know, it is what it is, right? Boo, you know, I, I'm blessed. And as, as, as I sit here knowing that my time is coming to an end, I've lived a really good life. I'm so proud of you guys, but I'm ready to be with Jesus. And I, and I think as I, as I was reading this letter multiple times, kind of in, in preparation just for our, our study and our time in the Word over the next several weeks, I, I think this is what Paul is experiencing. He's experiencing something very similar to what my grandfather was experiencing there in his last couple of months. You know, Paul, Paul's in his second imprisonment. He's awaiting execution, and it brought about this great clarity in his own mind and in his own heart on what kind of legacy he was going to leave for Jesus's church and, and, and the people that he had been doing ministry with over the course of the last 30 years. The, the churches that he loved and the people that he loved, especially Timothy, he just has this great clarity on the, the blessing that it was to be able to be in ministry with them and to know them and get to do life with them. And, you're, and, and you'll see in this letter, that Paul's tone really is, is, for the most part, joyful. That as someone who's getting ready to experience his own death and execution, the, the, the letter has this tone of, of, of joyfulness over God's faithfulness to him over the last 30 years of ministry. And he's trying to encourage Timothy one last time to remain faithful once he's gone because he knows that he's played such a pivotal role in Timothy's life that he wants Timothy's legacy to continue long after he is gone and long after Timothy is gone. So as Paul is asking himself, what what kind of legacy am, am I leaving for Jesus as God calls me home? How, how can I encourage Timothy and this young church in Ephesus to focus on leaving a legacy as well? We're going to see two things in the text this morning that I think Paul kind of shows us, not because he tells them to us, but we see what he writes and from his actions, what he's encouraging Timothy to do and what he's encouraging us to do if we seek to leave a legacy for Jesus throughout the course of our lives. And that's this. He's going to encourage Timothy to cultivate an attitude or a posture of gratefulness in his life. To be, to, to be reminding himself consistently of what he has to be thankful for, not what is going wrong all the time. And the other thing he's going to encourage Timothy to do is to remember God's faithfulness regularly. So let's look at the text, 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, 
and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I, I remind you guys of this regularly. If you've spent a number of years with us as we studied a number of New Testament epistles, that it is pretty easy to read that greeting and just kind of fly by it. Just kind of move forward and not notice it and just say, oh yeah, okay, Paul's saying hi. Okay, here we go, keep moving. Right, but one of the things I want, I want to point out to you is especially in this particular epistle, Paul is writing to one person, to Timothy. And so you would expect a, a more um, you know, friendly, uh, personal tone. And yet when you read that greeting, you see this kind of standard opening greeting uh, of, of what Paul tends to do. And I think there's something important that Paul is trying to communicate to Timothy here by being so formal in that introduction. Right? He's saying, hey, Timothy, I know, I know we're brothers. I know you view me as a spiritual father. But as I write this letter to you, I want you to recognize that I believe that what I'm writing to you is not just from me, but it's something that God has for you and wants you to hear. Right? He says, he says right, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, right? reminding of, of who he belongs to and who he's writing on behalf of by the will of God. Right? I'm writing this to you because it's God's will for you to hear this according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Right? He wants Timothy to take a step back and remember, hey, Timothy, our ministry, our friendship, our fellowship is only possible because of what Jesus has done for us. I don't lose sight of that. Church, we are so blessed to have God's word to us. And this is such a blessing to have this letter preserved thousands of years so that we can be encouraged by it later on. Our hope, our fellowship, our gathering is only possible, though, because of Jesus, right? And that is what Paul is reminding Timothy of here, that, that grace, mercy, and peace are what we long for as a church, but it only comes through the finished work of Christ. And that God's will for us is to rest in the finished work of his Son, to love him and to know him. And so because of Jesus, right, Paul starts off this letter and he says, Timothy, right, because of the hope that we have in Christ, the common faith that we have and what Jesus has done, let's leave a legacy for him together. And he's gonna share those two main points for us, right? Starting in, in verse three, look at what he says. Timothy, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. I said that one of the first things we're gonna see is Paul's going to encourage Timothy to cultivate this attitude of thankfulness or gratefulness, depending on how you want to phrase it. And Paul shares four different ways or reasons he has to be thankful 
in the midst of his current circumstances. And I think what's really, really encouraging to me as I, as I re- read this letter and as I, I think through its implications for us as a church, right? Paul has a lot to be upset and broken about and, 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 and to be downtrodden about. He's, he's about to, to, to die. He's about to be martyred for the cause of Christ. And I think our, our culture right now, in many ways, is kind of hopeless. It's kind of downtrodden. 2020 was a very difficult year for many of us. And 2021 is starting out much the same way, especially from a cultural cultural perspective. And yet Paul, in the midst of all the turmoil that he's facing and all that he's about to, to go through, takes a step back and says, I have so much to be thankful for. I have so much to be thankful for. Right, look, at, look at verse three. Right, the first thing that he says he's thankful for is he's thankful for God's faithfulness to Timothy. Right, he says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Right, he says, Timothy, as I pray for you, I thank God for you. And I thank him for what he has done for you. I thank God for the way that our ancestors thanked God for their ancestors and the people in their life. And, and, and take a second, isn't it beautiful that Paul recalls the spiritual heritage of Israel and God's faithfulness to them as he's also reminded of God's faithfulness to him and to Timothy? How blessed are we by people that have gone before us? Many of them we might not even know by name. I would encourage you, right? If you, if you ever write down notes and think through things, I would encourage you as like an action item for this week. Have you thought about any of the reasons or people you have to be thankful for recently? And have you just prayed and thanked God for them in your life? I know that we have a lot not to be thankful for right now. I, I, that is not lost on me. But I would also say God uses all things for the good of those who love him. So take some time this week to write down some people in your life that you are thankful to God for and tell them. One of the beautiful things about getting to preach God's word is oftentimes I'm preaching to myself as I prepare before I ever deliver the message to you. And I had the opportunity to reach out to a number of people who had an impact on my life this past week and thank them. And what a beautiful sweet time it was as a lot of them responded to me and called me and I got to catch up with a lot of old friends and ministry partners as we just got the opportunity to thank God together, reflecting on his faithfulness to us and our ministries over the years. I can promise you that if you do this, God will use it to encourage you and encourage somebody else. And so as Paul thanks God for Timothy He then moves on in verse four to thank God for Timothy's friendship. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Think about all the language that's being shared there. That is personal language, right? I mean, it is fairly clear that apparently Timothy might've been an emotional dude. It's like, Timothy, last time I left, dude, you were crying. I remember that. And I long 
to see you again, that I may be filled with joy. Some of you guys may be sitting there like, hey, how is this different from what was going on in verse 3? I'll just say this. We can be thankful for people that we have never met. I have many spiritual mentors that I am thankful for, many who have already passed on. One of the biggest impacts on my life is a, a man by the name of Charles Spurgeon, who's been dead for over 100 years. But Paul here is, is thanking Timothy for the, for the fellowship and the friendship and the relationship that they've had. Not just their impact in ministry, but their godly friendship where they have locked arms and done life with one another. And Paul just says, Timothy, I am so thankful for you. As I sit here in prison, I'm just so thankful for the fact that I got to know you and that we were friends. Church, how often do we take time to reflect on how blessed and fortunate we are to have one another? Do we take that for granted? Because I fear, I fear that we do sometimes. I fear that we take for granted what a blessing it is that a hundred plus complete strangers can become friends sometimes closer than blood family because of our common bond and unity in Christ. And Paul's just reminding us here, this is an opportunity to look at the blessing of friendship and the fellowship of the church and thank God for that. All right, I'm, I was reminded of what uh, Tim Keller says in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, as I was reading through this this past week. One of the things that, that Tim talks about in that book is how important it is for married couples to be friends as well as lovers. And one of the things he talks about is the beauty of friendship, then the beauty of Christian friendship, and then the beauty of a marriage friendship and relationship. And one of the things he says that's beautiful about friendship is you, you might have friends that, that aren't believers. And, and what's cool about those relationships is you have things in common that unite you guys together and you enjoy spending time with one another. But one of the distinguishing characteristics of Christian friendship is what he calls a hunting license. And he says that Christians give a license to one another as, a, as part of being the body of Christ to love one another, pray for one another, but also call one another out when our character is unbecoming of a follower of Jesus. And to share with one another and bear with one another's burdens as we call out that sin, to not shun them, but to walk with them as God sanctifies us. This is what Paul experienced with Timothy. That as God molded both of them into the image of Christ, they had a front row seat in one another's lives and being able to live this out. And Paul, as he's reflecting on his life, gets to take a step back and reflect on the beauty of how this has impacted him. You know, my son, my oldest son, Gideon, teaches me a lot of life lessons. Sometimes I want to learn them and sometimes I don't. But Many of you know him. He's super smart, smarter than me, and I'm, that's not an exaggeration in the slightest. He's genuinely smarter than me. I've joked with people when he was younger that I could help him with his homework when he was like in kindergarten or first grade, but very, very quickly it was going to be obvious that only mom was going to be there to help moving forward. And luckily, my wife's a high school math teacher, so he's in good hands. But, and so many, so many of you know that he's super smart for the human around him, but another thing that, that I'm so thankful for in his character is that he's genuinely just super empathetic and loving. That's kind of the default posture of his heart. 
And, and one of the things that I see in Gideon is every time we have family and friends from out of town come in to visit, you know, Gideon is so excited he can't even sleep you know, days leading up to their arrival. And then when they're here, you know, he's up at 5.45 in the morning and you can hear him in bed because we have a very, very specific rule for him that he cannot be out of his bed until 6 a.m. And so you can hear him, you know, shifting around in his bed and he's making all this noise and banging against the wall because he's so excited he can't contain himself. And then, I mean, the moment the clock hits six, he, you can hear him plop out of his bunk bed and he's ready to go wake up whatever poor soul is visiting us for those days. And so, you know, he, he, he's go, go, go the whole time they're here. He is invested. He's spending time with them. Sometimes even they're like, dude, can I please just have five minutes to myself? But he is all in on that relationship. And then when they leave, right, something, something he does every time our families leave, he sobs uncontrollably. And I, I'm not talking like... <laughs> No, I'm talking snot down the face, uncontrollably crying. And, you know, unfortunately for him, that emotional part of his dad's character never turned on. And so I'm like, what? Yeah, I'm so convinced. And luckily for him, Jackie's, it's okay, buddy. You know, it's comforting him. And I'm just like, what do we do here? I'm, I'm not familiar with this emotion. What do, what do we do? But something I frequently remind him of as I'm trying to encourage him and myself every time this happens is I say to him, Gideon, I, I know you're sad they had to leave. Like, I, I get it, buddy. I, I get that you're disappointed. Buddy, have you ever thought about what a blessing it is and what a gift it is from God to have family and friends and fellowship that is so beautiful that it brings us to tears when we have to say goodbye? What a gift. What a blessing that is. And so we encourage him, right, as his parents, embrace those feelings. Don't despair over the fact that it's ended. It's okay to be sad, but instead, be grateful that you have that kind of love and friendship and family and fellowship in your life because it's a gift. Church, that's what God wants for us. Right? God longs for us to love one another, that that's how we feel when we can't be together. Even if it's right for us not to be together, God calls us on somewhere else, we move to another season of life. Right? God wants our love for one another to be that level of close, that deep relationally, and that level of love so that when we leave, it brings us to tears, but that we celebrate and are grateful to God for have, having given us those relationships. And so as Paul shares this with Timothy, right? He's like, Timothy, I'm thankful to God for you. I'm thankful for your friendship and your fellowship. And then when he gets to verse five, he's gonna tell Timothy, Timothy, I'm thankful for your faith. And look at what he says. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Right? He says, Timothy, you're doing a great job, dude. <laughs> I love you, man. Like, I see the evidence of what God is doing in your life, and it encourages me. Thank you. 
Thank you for loving Jesus. And thank you that because of the way you love Jesus, I love Jesus more because I see it in you. It encourages me to seek after him. Church, I can honestly say this. The elders and I feel this way about you guys. We do. I feel this way about every single one of you guys in this room. I, I have relationships with a, a number uh, of pastors, both in the community and outside of our own community. And, and 2020 was difficult on pastors as well. It was. And the number of stories I heard of friends and brothers in the ministry who were dealing with major drama and conflict and fights in their congregation over should we be meeting, should we not be meeting, uh, politics, uh, masks, everything. You guys put your heads down. You prayed. You loved one another. You were gracious towards one another. You prayed for me. You prayed for your other pastors. You adjusted. I mean, for goodness sake, in the last 24 hours, we moved inside, tried to distance these chairs, and you guys agreed to put masks on. Thank you. Thank you that your love for Jesus is bigger than your political leanings or your ideology or your personal worldviews. Thank you. Because you encourage me. You encourage me to want to be a better pastor, to be a better man, to be a better husband, and to be a better follower of Jesus. Your faith encourages me to love him more. Keep running after him. And we will leave a legacy for Christ, for our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, and their children after them. Because that's what this is all about. And so as Paul looks at Timothy, he just says, thank you, thank you for your faith. Thank you, Timothy. Thank you for your faith so that I might be encouraged in Christ and thankful to God for his goodness towards us. And then lastly, he says in verse five that he's thankful for Timothy's family. He says, I remember that faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and her mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. He says, Timothy, God used your family, and for that I am thankful. For those of you guys that are students in here, if you ever introduce me to your folks, and I'm getting ready to give away my punchline, so if you're a parent here this morning, sorry, you're getting the spiel that I give to every parent I ever meet when your uh, children introduce uh, you to me. I walk up and I, 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 I greet you and I, I meet you, and then I, and I tell you two things, how much I love your child, because I do, how thankful I am for them. But then I, and students, I want you to hear this, I always thank your parents for the legacy that they have left in you. No matter how small you may view it, they have left a legacy in you and you are walking with Jesus today in some small way because of God's impact through them in your life. And so I always thank the parents, right? Because we have so much to be grateful for. And this is what Paul is trying to get across to Timothy Right? These are just four examples of things he has to be grateful for. But in this, right, as Paul leaves this with Timothy, right, this is the last letter he's ever going to receive from Paul. Right? And Paul is leaving for him right, a pattern that says, hey, even when I am in chains, facing my very death, I have so much to be thankful for. 
Paul encourages Timothy to leave a legacy, and he encourages us to do so as well. And he reminds us that part of leaving that legacy is cultivating a posture of gratefulness to God for all that he has done. And so as he encourages Timothy to cultivate this posture of gratitude in his life, he then moves into the next thing that he's going to do, and that's to encourage a continual remembrance of God's faithfulness to him. Look at verses 6 and 7 with me. It says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. He says, Timothy, remember God's faithfulness to you. Right? If you look at verse six, he, he says, fan the flame, right? Fan the flame of what God has done in you. If you turn back to 1 Timothy chapter four, I think that this is what Paul has in mind, right? He says to Timothy, starting in verse 14, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Right? He, says to, he says to Timothy, Timothy, you have gifts given to you by the Holy Spirit. Use them. If you guys know anything about starting a fire, right? one of the things you have to do as that fire first starts is you, if you fan it or you blow on it, what happens to the flames? Right? They grow. Right? And what Paul is saying to Timothy is, hey, God has given you this gift. Don't waste it. Don't let the ember die down. Fan the flame, Timothy. Fan the, the beauty of what God has done in your life because God has been faithful to you. God has gifted you to teach and preach the word of God. Don't forget that. And church, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ here this morning, this is true of you as well. God has made a deposit in you, right? He has given you the Holy Spirit. And in that, not only is that a sign and seal of God's work in you to save you, but he is also giving you gifts so that you might live out your faith, that you might walk faithfully with Jesus. And this is God's call to us to remember God's faithfulness to us so that we might use our gifts for the glory of Jesus Christ. Some of you guys... Some of you guys are younger followers of Jesus in here, and so what I'm about to say might not land um, as closely with you. Um, but we love you guys. So even if this doesn't land with you, we still love you, right? Just a couple of weeks ago, Gabe and Emily shared their testimony with us as they got baptized. How awesome was that, right? But some of you guys who have been followers of Jesus a while will understand what I'm about to say. Think back, or rem can you remember back to a time when you were just on fire for the Lord. Like just, there was these emotional highs and there was just this fervor for Jesus, for his word, what he has done. Remember, remember that feeling? 
Remember how that felt. And again, this is not me trying to sum it up and say, hey, we must be feeling that all the time. That, that is not what I'm trying to say. But I think what Paul is trying to encourage us is, is hey, hey, remember back to that feeling. I, I remember as a new believer, people have trouble shutting me up in the first place, but it was even worse 15 years ago. I mean, if you were around me, you heard the gospel, and I apologize to the, the many people who accidentally sat down next to me in various coffee shops or places around my campus. But I was just so excited to have finally tasted and seen God's goodness towards me in Christ. I could not help but share that with others. And as I step back, and I remember that feeling, I asked myself, where, where did that passion, where did that zeal go? What, what, what happened? And instead of yelling at me, right, instead of Paul saying, how dare you let that passion or zeal leave your life, Kevin? How dare you not feel that way all the time? Now, what does he say? He says, Timothy, fan the flame, brother. God's not mad at you. God doesn't hate you. But fan the flame, man. Fan the flame. Remember God's faithfulness to you and press into that. Fan the flame. Some of you might be sitting there, well, how? Like, Pastor Kevin, how? how? How do I fan the flame? I'm lonely. I'm tired. I'm weary. 2020 just happened. Are we ever going to stop saying that, by the way? Hopefully at some point, right? Amen. And here's what I say. Keep praying, even when you don't want to. Keep reading his word even though you might not want to. Stay in fellowship with the body of Christ, even though you might not want to. Don't give up. Fan the flame. Pursue Christ and what he has for you. I share with you guys just a practical example of the, the, how, how you can kind of live this out and see this work. Because church, I think we play a unique role in one another's lives where we can help one another fan the flame and encourage one another. I really do. I think God designed it that way intentionally. If you see evidence of God's grace in someone's life, tell them. It's free. They don't charge you to encourage them. Right? If someone has blessed you recently with their faith, tell them. Just this, just this past week, a woman in our church came by uh, our office, and I'm not going to share her name because I did not get her permission, but she knows who she is. And as we were sitting there talking outside of my office, um, she, she shared with me how she was individually praying for all of the leaders and interns in this church, personally by name and what she was praying about for them. Right? And I, I, just, I just took a step, step back, and, and I just thanked her. Because the, the staff, staff at this church, some of you guys don't even know this, she is praying for you by name daily for the things going on in your life. Right? For some of you, she's praying that a, a woman would agree to marry you. You know who you are. For some of you guys, she's praying for your family, for your children, for your wives. Right? She's praying for the ministry. But she is praying for you by name daily. 
and her faith encouraged me. As I was in my office that morning getting ready to prepare for the day, right, God used her to give me a tangible expression of what he was talking about in these verses, and she fanned the flame in my own life. That's what we can be to one another. As we love one another, as we encourage one another, as we pray for one another, that is how we fan the flame. And the second thing Paul says to Timothy as he reminds him to reflect on God's faithfulness, as he just encourages him there in verse 7. Timothy, remember that God is the source of this power for our legacy, not yourself, which we consistently need. Amen? I am way too self-sufficient. Foolishly so. I know better, and yet I'm foolishly self-sufficient. He, just says, he looks at him, look at what he says in verse 7. For God gave us, Timothy, he gave us this. A spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. God gave that to us. He says, Timothy, you are not your source of power. As I encourage you to do all this, you are not your own source of power. You are not the reason the church at Ephesus is, is humming. But in Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you will persevere. You will remain faithful. You will encourage others to a deeper walk with Christ because God is the source of that work, not you. And guys, I don't know about you, but that brings me great comfort. It brings me great hope that my salvation, my sanctification, our church, our ministry are dependent upon God's power, not our own. Because he is faithful. Church, I, I don't know where every one of us is this morning. I, I don't. I know some of us are hopeful. I know some of us are anxious. I know some of us are fearful. I know some of us are angry. I know some of us are like me and they don't know how to deal with their own emotions, so they're a mix of all of them. But here's what I can promise us. The Holy Spirit that resides in us is faithful, not fearful. And that God has given us that Spirit and with it comes power, right? A power to be bold in the face of persecution, in the face of rejection, in the face of being unloved, in the, in the face of not knowing what to do. God gives us a spirit of power to be bold for Jesus. That God gives us a spirit of love so that we might be merciful when someone else is unworthy of mercy that we might be gracious when someone else is ungracious, that we might be kind when someone else is unkind. Because love is a choice and God has given us the power to choose love. And then he's given us a spirit of self-control so that we might put sin to death and experience more joy in following Christ. Church, let's be encouraged right? God is at work in us. He is. This reminder to Timothy is a reminder to us. God is at work. Some of you may be sitting here like, I can't see it. He is at work. You may not see it. It may be as tiny as a mustard seed, 
but God is at work in you. And he is faithful. God will sustain you no matter how hard the struggle. Keep going. Fan the flame. And as we fan that flame together collectively, we will leave a legacy for Christ, which is the only thing worth living for. A legacy that is thankful for God and his faithfulness and a legacy that displays the glory of God to an unbelieving world around us. Let's leave that legacy together. That's that's what I want. I want to leave a legacy so that my children, our children, my grandchildren, your grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren can can say together, long long after I've, I've been put into the ground, that as they read God's word together and they come across 2 Timothy, they might say the same thing Timothy said about his ancestors. I am thankful for the, for the sincere faith that dwelt in my ancestors. And we ask God to make that true of us so that we might leave a legacy for Christ together.